You're listening to Talking Pictures. I'm Ali and today I'm joined by Alex. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. So we are discussing American Psycho today. Came out in the year 2000, directed by Mary Harron. So why are we discussing American Psycho? Why is this film so important to you? I guess I would say I'm a big fan of the horror thriller genre. Um, I guess it's a bit of a questionable if it's really in the horror genre. But and, you know, I guess as someone who... um, kind of identifies as genderqueer. I like the idea of like movies that discuss gender and this movie really is about the horrors of toxic masculinity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also a huge Chloe Sevigny fan, so oh, yeah, she's, love her. Yeah, she's great. She's out, she's brilliant in this. I think her, her character as Jean is just so interesting. That scene that she has with Patrick towards the end of the film and he kind of lets her live. I find that it's one of the most fascinating scenes yeah. in the entire film, I think. Yeah, for me when I was, so I rewatched it recently and I thought, I just I found it so funny and like that's like cause last time I watched it I think it was probably about I don't know two or three years ago I don't remember finding it funny but I kind of watched it now and I thought how did I not find this absolutely hysterical like it's it's brilliant and it is so funny because it is it's a satire like you say of kind of toxic masculinity of you know neoliberal individualism this kind of this terrible individualism that existed in 1980s capitalist America when it's set and yeah so those are the those are the themes I certainly find really interesting so I would say Patrick's murders they they represent the effects of this neoliberal society so the film is set in the late 1980s so it was made in the year 2000 so get kind of a period piece the book the book upon which it was based um, which was written by Brett Easton Ellis came out in 1991 so it is yeah kind of a period piece and it's it's obviously about you know Patrick Bateman who um, works on Wall Street um, amongst all these yuppie friends of his and you know his his crimes are Certainly, he, he enacts these crimes upon, you know, people who belong to lower classes than him. And I think it is, it is that representation of this neoliberal society that he lives in. And I find that that's what I find really interesting. No, definitely. It's it's a hilarious movie, really, mm. um, really embodies the dark comedy genre. And I think a lot of that's reflected in like the amount of memes. I mean, on the Internet the, of mm-hmm. Patrick Bateman. Um, I think a lot of people would probably recognize snippets from the movie just from like internet culture. But yeah, no, it's it's really amazing. And I think another amazing thing is just how well this movie has aged. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. upon I hadn't seen it for I, I mean, to be honest, I had seen it like about a year ago before rewatching it in preparation for this episode. But before then, I mean, before then, I always found it funny. But Upon rewatch, it's just, uh, you always catch new jokes and mm. hilarious movie. And it really discusses, like, th- as you said, things like class, race, even, ge- like, gender mm. in, you know, such a modern way. And, um, yeah, I, it's a really great movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot and a lot of the film, like, a lot of the themes that the film explores, as you say, they, they still resonate today. It, it's kind of, it's still totally relevant what it explores so I'll give a bit of context I guess so this when I say neoliberalism I mean obviously you know know, this incredibly individualistic kind of ideology everyone's out for themselves you know you're kind of so it's set during the presidency of Reagan which was from um, 81 to 89 Um, Reagan kind of promoted these individualistic values basically if you are poor that is your fault um, and he, he kind of he lowered taxes he reduced government funding to social services including providing housing for homeless individuals so you know one of Patrick's I think Patrick's 
one of his first victims. Yeah, it's the first victim. Is a homeless individual. So his his crimes. That that's what I find so fascinating. The way that his crimes reflect how this this era of everyone is just out for themselves. We are not going to support other people. You know, it it was this era of basically if you have no material worth, you are worthless and deserving of suffering. Essentially, you're not deserving of support. And Bateman's murders are allegories for that impact, I would say. No, definitely. And I think there's also this performative aspect of liberalism that's explored a lot in the movie. I mean, the scene prior to um, Patrick Bateman murdering the black homeless man, um, they're at the restaurant, uh, the four of them, I think, believe him, his fiance, and uh, another couple. I'm not sure if this happens right before, but uh, Hmm. anyways... They're having this conversation, and this is where Patrick goes on this kind of tangent. He's talking about, you know, civil rights, protecting the homeless, giving yep. them food. And then later on in the movie, or um, he just, you know, murders this homeless man. Mm-hmm. I, it really just shows this performance, like this really performative aspect of liberalism, like that's really, that's very, very relevant to today's society. And I think you were talking about Reagan's presidency. Um, the last scene of the movie, they're watching a Reagan interview. Yep. And I mean, I think one of his coworkers goes to Patrick Bateman, like, or talking to the group. He says, how can he talk like this? How can he act this way? Act like he's so caring. Like, it's like, and then I think someone replies, like, it's what's on the inside doesn't matter. Mm. And yeah, I think that performative as- aspect and like kind of the hypocrisy of Patrick Bateman is really um, put put under a microscope as well as a part of like this whole um satirical character yeah that's really interesting because it is their lives these yuppies these colleagues who work at pierce and pierce on wall street so much is just about what other people think about them right so they've got to be performative because the only thing that matters is how other people perceive them so if if patrick's going on kind of this well, not a rant, but if he's talking about, oh, here's why we need to protect homeless individuals. Here's why we yeah. need to kind of protect all these groups. It's just because it lo- it looks good for him to have this understanding of contemporary politics, I think. Like, and it is it is so performative and it is, yeah, it, it's about that falsity, that, that mask that he wears that he introduces in that scene when he's kind of talking about there is no real Patrick Bateman and he's peeling off Peeling that. off the mask. Exactly. Yeah, that is an iconic shot. Mm-hmm. Um and it really does show, like, like I mean, the whole movie is about this kind of mask he creates for himself to feel appreciated and valued in um, the New York walls, like the world of New York Wall Street, you know? So mm, Yeah, because I saw this piece of analysis and they were talking about how, you know, even though th- all of these characters live in an incredibly individualistic society, they have no individualism. So they're all out for themselves, but they're all seeking exactly the same thing because they've been told this is the life that if you, if you seek for this, if you like strive towards this, people will perceive you as better and you will be better and you'll be happier. And so that's what, where this masks come, mask comes from, right? It's this kind of, they don't have any true identity because they are just built up. It, I mean, the, the film kind of explores these themes of, you know, materialism and consumerism. And when Patrick's talking about other characters, when he, when they enter the room or whatever, he so often refers to the clothing that they're wearing and stuff like this. And, it, and it's because what matters about these people is their outward appearance and how they are perceived. It's nothing to do with who they are on the inside. It's all, and they have no identity because of that. He says, you know, in that, in that monologue, um, when he's doing his skincare routine, and then, yeah. and then at the end as well, it's just there. There is no real Patrick Bateman. There's there's an idea, but there is no there's no real him because he's never had to build that because he's just been creating this image of of a person that he feels he should be striving towards. 
No, definitely. And on the topic of like individualism, I think there's really this theme of like this push pull of like individualism and like conformity. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, when you look at like the, the, the people who work at Pearson Pierce, I remember I was watching it with a friend and they turned to me and they go, they all look the same. And I'm like, yes, they do. I mean, yeah, you you had mentioned in the notes that like Patrick Bateman gets confused for people many different times Mm -hmm. um, because he wears the same Valentino suits or, or whatnot. And there's really this push pull of like wanting to be an individual, wanting to have your own individual interests and um, this kind of conformity that exists within like elite society or, I mean, or just society in general. Mm, Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned kind of him getting mixed up with other people because that is that's this it's a repercussion of him living in the society in which everyone is striving towards the same thing. Like you say, everyone feels like they have to be consuming in the same way and buying the same thing. So everyone looks exactly the same. But but then, you know, so um, Paul Allen, who works at this company and who has, you know, a slightly better job than Patrick Bateman and Patrick Bateman's very jealous of this and he has a slightly better business card. Um, yeah, the business card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Paul Allen, he constantly mistakes Patrick for um, Marcus, who also works there. And and the, the fact that Patrick is constantly mistaken for other people ends up giving him an alibi for Paul Allen's murder. So it, it, it's it's bad. Obviously, all these people are kind of constantly mistaken for each other, but it, it helps Patrick to literally get away with murder. No, I know. It, it honestly adds to, like, the, the humor of it. Mm. Just the way that, like, Patrick Bateman is not a good murderer. He, yeah. he's, he's He kind of sucks. He's like, terrible. He drags a body through the through the lobby of his building like the of, of like and I don't I forget whose building I, it was his or Paul Allen's building but there's mm. literally blood on on the floor I mean we were talking earlier about when he gets caught with the body bag um by Lewis um uh, I don't know like Patrick Bateman is not a good killer and I think that yeah. the the idea of like him being mistaken serves as an alibi like it really adds to like this, the humor of the movie. Yeah, but I think I think it's so interesting as well that he is he is such a terrible killer, but he gets away with it because of the society that he's in. So he, he gets an alibi for this murder because he is mistake because some so Marcus who gives him this alibi thinks that Patrick was at this party, but obviously he is just mistaken this other person for Patrick so he gets an alibi also um Patrick after confessing to his lawyer that he was responsible for the murder of Paul Allen in a fantastic scene I mean Christian Bale his acting in that scene is phenomenal when he's confessing to his lawyer that he killed Paul Allen but then when he sees his lawyer the lawyer says well it's impossible because I saw Paul Allen in London in my I know this is obviously kind of up for debate in my opinion I feel like the lawyer did not see Paul Allen. It's another case and of mistaken yeah. identity. So it, so he gets away with murder because of because of people constantly getting mistaken for each other, but also because, because he lives in a society in which kind of status really matters. So he, he ends up using Paul Allen's apartment to kind of collect all of his victims in. And it, yeah. it, 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 it's an absolute, it's just, yeah, a horrific, it's in a horrific state when he leaves it. It's, you know, there are, bodies in this apartment that it's it's awful a head in the fridge yeah yeah it's very very incriminating however when he returns to the apartment i'm assuming to clear things up um towards the end of the film everything's been cleared up obviously again this is you know b- because there are a lot of debates about whether or not every- everything in the film actually happened yeah. i feel like this in this scene what's happened is paul allen's family have kind of paid for it to be cleaned up to protect the 
reputation and status of Paul Allen because potentially he could have been incriminated because they don't know where he is. Are these Paul Allen's victims? And also just to protect the monetary value of the property. Of the apartment, yeah. yeah. I believe, I remember, like, I think that's the only hard evidence that um, the murders were all in his, like, mind. But there's obviously, like, yeah, mm. those were two really good, <laughs> good explanations of how that happened. Yeah, well, I just feel like it's that example of how this society, like, he's, like you say, he's a terrible, he's so bad at, at kind of hiding what he's done. But the, his society does it for him. And he's able to get away with these crimes because of people wanting to protect their status or people wanting to protect kind of their money and, and people are constantly mistaking you know, people for other people. I think that's really interesting. No, definitely. I think it also just shows how, like, I think you can tie it into the way that um, just like people of status, specifically uh, like rich white men, often get away with things because of their status. Mm. And I think you can tie it into like deeper conversations of um, uh, like with the the law system or, you know, Mm. just like how status often helps you get out of situations or how uh, being perceived as a person of power will often like, um, help you in the long run. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, continuing on with that theme of power, the film really, as we've already mentioned, explores themes of materialism and consumerism. So the characters are, as we've already said, you know, constantly talking about their clothes, where their clothes from, in um, that scene when he's <laughs> dragging this bag, and then Lewis, another person who works at Pierce and Pierce, kind of spots the bag and he's like, "Where did you get that overnight bag from?" I just think that moment's brilliant. Um, so they're constantly talking about what they have bought but also they're always they never no one in this company works they're constantly just out getting drinks and eating i haven't seen them work once they did i don't I think mean, they did there's yeah. even i think they even address it when when um the detective who's played by willem defoe kind of comes to patrick's office and he oh, says willem oh defoe's great he's yeah. brilliant in this and he says you know oh I'm, I'm just assuming you're so busy and then patrick kind of pushes his magazines into a drawer <laughs> and pushes them away but um i guess I, what i'm mentioning here is this theme of consumption the characters are constantly consuming, be that buying things or actually literally consuming food, um, drink. I think even even in the um, even in the opening credits, there are these red drops which you assume to be blood, and then it's revealed to be the sauce on a plate in a restaurant. So it, yeah. it, this theme of consumption constantly comes up, and it is, I think, always paralleled with violence a little bit. There is this weird kind of um, blurring of the lines between literal consumption, consumption of goods, consumption of food, and violence against those who are harmed by this society, this neoliberal society. No, definitely. And I think there's this big idea of like, what you consume gives you worth. Mm. I mean, there's this huge obsession in the movie with Dorcia. Yes. I, I find it one of the most hilarious aspects of the movie, how everyone's trying to get a re- reservation at Dorsey and mm-hmm. no one can, except for Paul Allen, apparently. Yep. And kind of like this idea that, you know, Dorsey is this unattainable like thing. And like the idea of you consuming a meal at Dorsey just makes you so much better than everyone. Mm-hmm. Like the, the restaurant comes back time after time in the dialogue. It's it's yeah, it's a it's a great example about how like worth and consumption are put together and. I think it it beautifully kind of creates a satire of like what our like what capitalist society like does to people and how mm. you know consumption or materialism and like what just what you own determines like your worth and whether or not you should be respected or are worthy of love yeah yeah so I think that's really interesting and I think Bateman is constantly kind of evaluating the worth of other people and he really does not value the worth of 
women and I think you know this this film explores the themes of gender and we've we've already mentioned the character of Jean who is Patrick's secretary and I think I feel like that I mean we've mentioned this scene where he chooses to let her live he is about to take her life and he chooses to let her yeah. live and that moment where he decides that she has worth I think is such a significant moment but yeah I mean in terms of gender themes in general like it, I, I was watching this interview um, with Mary Harron who directed um, Bray Easton Ellis who wrote the novel and Christian Bale and they were all talking about how the film is an analysis of you know toxic male behavior essentially and you know Patrick Bateman is so insecure he's so wildly insecure like he's constantly we've mentioned this you know but he's constantly comparing himself to the no, other men around yeah. him like and you mentioned you know Paul Allen's reservation at Dorsia <laughs> I feel like that is in that moment Patrick's like right I'm gonna kill him I feel like that's what oh, pushes yeah. him over the edge because Paul Allen is kind of well. I mean, he's one of the own one of the only victims that have you know a, a decent amount of wealth and is kind of in the upper classes. But yeah, no, definitely. He, I feel like he chooses to because after Patrick murders him, he says, you know, try getting a reservation at Dorsey now. now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it, I feel like for that to be the motivation to take somebody's life is it, it's indicative of his incredible insecurity and the fact that his his masculinity he's constantly comparing himself to these these men around him and I, I think yeah I just find that really interesting no definitely pa Patrick Bateman is an insecure character for sure and we see not through because we see them the movie is through his lens obviously but when you get these glimpses of what other people think of him like I mean other people perceive him as quite a loser yeah you know he constantly gets called a dork like a all dork the time. yeah so like I think Patrick Bateman is super insecure we're getting this very like filtered version of him that it's like going on in his mind or whatnot mm. but um yeah you you can see in these there's tons of moments where he really tries to like assert himself without success I mean think about his monologues when he's with women or like the when he has the um call girl over the two the call girl and the girl he picked up over yes he says don't you want to know what I do and they're not and then they're not interested <laughs> or think about like his many monologues I mean his his mm. he, his um Huey, what is that? Sorry. Huey Lewis in the Huey news. Huey Lewis yeah. in the news monologue. Mm -hmm. Patrick Bateman is constantly trying to assert himself as a cool guy, a guy who knows a lot of things, who has a good job, who owns a lot of things, who has a nice apartment. Mm -hmm. I mean, he gets so frustrated when the the same the same girl he picks up for the second time says that uh, Paul Allen's apartment is quite nicer than the other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Patrick Bateman is an insecure character. And uh, I think the movie does a great job at showing his lens of him being some kind of, you know, macho man who's, you know, uh, above all. And then you kind of get these glimpses of what other people think about him. And I think that's well, super well done. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, people and I think that's that debate about whether or not it's all in his head. I feel like those moments where we see how other people perceive him, because we do get that insight in, into those moments. And in the book, th so the book's in first person. So we don't, uh, pa Patrick. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Patrick, he constantly, so he, he when when he refers to Jean, he says, you know, Jean, my secretary, who's in love with me. Like he just assumes that he, he kind of knows how everyone else feels. Whereas in the film, it's not so first person, like predominantly, yes. But also we do get these moments where, like you say, the women are not interested in he hearing about what he does no, for a living. Yeah. We see his friends kind of being a bit, you know, disturbed by some of the things that he say says. And, and it's, you know, we do get these moments that indicate that not 
everyone's not as impressed with him as he wants them as to be. As he wants them to be, definitely. Yeah. And I think one of, we've already mentioned this scene, but the business card scene, kind of if we're talking about Patrick's insecurities, we can't not talk about that scene. He's He is on the verge of breakdown almost because he, these business cards, which are laid out in front of him, which are practically identical. And, and he looks at them and, he, and he's, he's, he, he's, you know, he's looking at these yeah. business cards of, these, of, his, of his colleagues and it's stressing him out so much that they might cost a bit more. They're a little bit better. And in yeah. he's just, he's so, and it's that insecurity. And I think that's one of the reasons why I can't understand why some people feel like Patrick Bateman is this idol. So there's this TikTok kind of, well, I was reading these articles about it. There's this TikTok trend, I guess. I don't know if you'd call it a trend, but this notion of the Sigma male. So I haven't heard about, I, we, when you sent me the notes, that was actually the first time I heard of Sigma male in that right. sense. Because I've always heard about alpha and mm. beta, but uh, I, what is a sigma male? Okay, so basically, well, it's all made up, <laughs> isn't it? But anyway, a sigma male, according to this like group of people on TikTok, apparently that's where it is. I've, I've, you know, I've just read about it on articles, but basically, it's kind of the the idea is it's a self sufficient loner who's kind of gets a lot of female attention, is not interested in it, is rich and and has a good body and a good house and all of this, but they've but alone and and kind of very intelligent i think that's the idea so it, i just find and this group of people um apparently see patrick bateman as a bit of an idol almost as kind of someone to look up to and as someone who you know um exemplifies what it is to be the true sigma male and i just find it so bizarre how you can watch this film and watch a scene like the business card scene and see how he's practically having a meltdown because some other man's business card is in a slightly different shade of white to his own and i don't understand how you can watch that and then think okay yeah this is this is great i'm gonna work towards being like this do you know what i mean it's yeah i mean no definitely i think that this this happened a lot in many types of media Mm. i mean not to just i mean the obvious examples would be like um wolf of wall street or i don't know scott pilgrim versus the world like you're not supposed to like these characters but then there's always going to be a sub-genre of people usually people who are a bit you know misogynistic are a bit materialistic and all these things that will be like oh he's just like me for real you know like I've seen the Patrick Bateman memes like it's quite it's quite funny and and to go for to more like I mean it's not just male characters obviously like the first example I can think of is maybe um my uh, my year of rest and relaxation is a, a Tesla novel and uh, again, a dislikable character, this time a female character, but then there's going to be a subgroup of people who identify to certain aspects of that character that are going to be like, oh, they're just like me, even though the character was not created for you to like. Mm-hmm. I think that goes, al- I, I think the way that people react to Patrick Bateman and kind of seeing him as an idol goes hand in hand with the idea of Patrick Bateman and his violence towards women being a stand-in for the violence that toxic masculinity um, creates um, within men, but also from men towards women. Mm. I mean, yeah, like uh, it, it's. I'm not saying that everyone who relates to Patrick Bateman or sees him as an idol is a misogynist or does not, you know, respect women. But I'm definitely. I'm sure there's a subgroup of them yeah. that like him for that reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm sure there's also people who just think he's funny probably or cannot identify the satire in it maybe if you've watched this film or you've kind of come across this culture and you've seen these memes and you've seen these kind of videos where it's like oh i'm gonna do patrick bateman's workout routine and stuff like this if you've seen this 
culture that exists and you go into the film watching it trying to perceive him as cool because I know that I mean I was when I was doing my research they were talking about the casting process for this which was oh my God, quite com- quite complex basically um and Leonardo DiCaprio at one point was potentially going to be involved I think Johnny Depp was potentially going to be I mean be that involved. makes sense with him being cast as the Wolf of Wall Street yeah very true very true but I mean apparently some of the people some of the actors who kind of auditioned or were considered thought of Patrick Bateman as cool so, and I think there are moments in the film, like after he kills Paul Allen and he's sat there smoking a cigar and he's got blood across half of his face and you're looking at it and it's like, it's quite a cool shot. But him as a person, you can perceive how what he's just done is incredibly terrible and it's a product of his insecurity and the fact that he's saying, you know, you try and get booking at Dorsier now and, it, and, it's, and it's so, it's ridiculous. But if you're looking, if you've just taken that image and then it's put in a different context, you could understand why someone might be like, oh yeah, that's really cool, you know? No, no definitely. I mean, I, I think I would be I would be lying personally if there weren't like some scenes in there that I'm like, oh, like I can relate to that, you know? Mm. I don't know when, you know, when he's when he's walking and he has that Huey Lewis song on his yep. headphones and he's and he's a really happy song and he's looking dead, dead serious. <laughs> like that's, you know, I, I'll look at that and be like, oh, that's like me on my, on, on my way, yeah. on my way to work looking super upset, but I'm, I'm listening to some, you know, fun pop song. I don't know. Like I, I understand how, I definitely understand how certain aspects of the movie are like hilarious and mm. kind of relatable, but it's coming from a place of knowing that it's satire and yeah. it's making fun of Patrick Bateman, not turning him into some idol yeah absolutely absolutely and I think well for me I guess the skincare routine it was when I was watching that and he's going into all these details about his skincare and I was like yeah I also would not put like alcohol on my face because it's caused wrinkles and all this and it's like so there are these moments but then it's pushed to such an extreme and it and it, you can see yeah as long as you can perceive that satire I guess then yeah because yeah. I think that's what's important I mean it's really funny because you know, Patrick Bateman is, you know, definitely a stand-in for masculinity here and toxic masculinity. But then there are certain things to Patrick Bateman's personality. I mean, he has more skincare routine steps than I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the Whitney Houston rant, mm-hmm. the Les Mis poster. Mm-hmm. Like, it is so funny how he's supposed to be some embodiment of masculine masculinity and stuff, but he isn't really that masculine. I mean, he doesn't really pay, you know, I mean... He doesn't really pay attention to women. Um, some of his interests are quite fem, like how how, you know, just how obsessed he is with the way like his own physique. I I mean the scene obviously when he's um, sleeping with the two women and uh, he's looking at himself in the mirror while they're mm. you know sleeping together. I don't know. It, it's just it, it it definitely adds to the satire for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, but. Yeah, there's definitely, like, I, I know, I don't know if we were planning on talking about this now, but, like, the queer undertones of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if was, you want to... Well, I was going to say, like, all of those moments that you've just mentioned, I watched this short um, kind of analysis video, which was talking about how is Patrick Bateman gay, basically. I think I've seen the same video. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, kind of, I mean, I, I watched that after I watched the film, and I feel like I'd probably have to watch the film again going into it with that interpretation, maybe, because, I mean, at the moment, I'm like, don't know. Um, but I guess, yeah, he, he like you say he, he's just so self-absorbed but then also has very little interest in women we see him with his his, his fiance Evelyn who's played by Reese Witherspoon, Witherspoon we see them together maybe three or four times and he just doesn't seem interested in her no. at all I mean the scene when she's she's talking about the wedding and he's you know trying to listen to I think it's again Huey Lewis mm. he's trying to listen to the new Huey Lewis record or something and she's trying to she's talking to him about wedding plans and he's just not 
listening to mm, her. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. He's There's not such a big disconnect with them. And then like the relationship is just so. Oh, hugely. It, yeah. It's, it's definitely just uh, for show. Oh, yeah. It's, de- I mean, it's part of that image that he's trying to achieve. Absolutely. And I guess that ties in very beautifully to like queer culture, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, the 80s. Um, AIDS yeah. was rampant. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, you know, queer people, you know, to protect themselves would commonly be in relationships and. Yeah. you know kind of have this facade this mask i mean to bring it back to the mm. the mask scene um kind of have this mask to protect themselves from you know homophobia and yeah um hate crimes whatnot yeah absolutely i mean if we're mentioning kind of the theme of homosexuality in the film and stuff like this is um the, we've got the character of lewis who is a colleague at pearson pierce and he is engaged to a woman but he he's attracted to patrick i think what strikes me about this character is he is the one man who works for this company who has at least some sense of genuine individuality he dresses slightly differently he wears everyone else wears in very very similar suits kind of they're all wearing blue and black he wears kind like of the green one right? yeah, yeah he wears a bow tie kind of does his hair differently also i noticed when he when he um because his his business card is shown later in the film after the infamous business card scene and his is kind of has this gold and green lettering and he does have a centri- sense of in like genuine sense of self um, rather than just all creating this mask and this facade that is just completely in accordance with how you think you should be exhibiting yourself. And I think when Patrick goes, to, he, att- he attempts to murder Lewis and then Lewis, um, he attempts to, strang- to strangle him and Lewis misinterprets this as As an an advance yeah exactly and patrick's kind of he's he's disturbed by this but i feel like there's different ways that you can interpret this moment when he decides not to kill lewis because he he you know lewis kind of says why why did you choose to do this now and then patrick kind of gets very very stressed out and goes and washes his gloves that he's wearing and then leaves and i think to, to me i don't know you can interpret that in so many different ways is it that lewis is individuality and genuine sense of self is a threat to Patrick's way of life. It kind of destabilizes how he thinks things should be. Is it because, you know, is it because that moment threatens this mask of heteronormativity that Patrick is displaying? I don't know. How do you interpret that moment? Um, so um, you said earlier that the author is is gay. Mm. I don't know if we had mentioned it before. So the I think- the screenwriter as well. The screenwriter as well. Yeah, okay, yeah. well- um, so I think that there's definitely like queer themes in it, mm. but I don't know if I interpret, I, the way I interpreted, you know, both Jean and Lewis not being killed by Patrick is that Patrick is desperate for affection. Mm. And I think that the reason why he didn't kill these characters is because these characters showed genuine, like genuine interest in him, like emotionally mm. and not just for his money or, you know. That's really interesting. Or to just or to put on a show because that's definitely why Evelyn is interested in him. Because when he breaks up with Evelyn, she's crying and she's very upset. When Patrick no, leaves, definitely. she kind of pulls herself together and she's half oh, crying out loud. And it's yeah. so it's obvious that she's not really upset by Patrick separate like separating from her because it's all yeah. just for show. They probably don't even like each other. I mean, the first thing she says is, "How are we going to do that? We have the same friends. How yeah. how's that going to work?" Yeah, Where's like she doesn't even genuinely like take it as a breakup she's she's like well that would be that would be an inconvenience wouldn't it yeah 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 yeah. whereas 
definitely because Lewis when when Patrick is getting very stressed out during the business card scene and Lewis is sat next to him and he does ask him he says you okay you're sweating like you're all right (laughs) and then Jean obviously kind of as his secretary she she does take genuine interest in in him and then when when Patrick asks Jean out on a date and then she's over in his apartment she's asking him kind of I can't remember exactly what she's asking but she's asking him kind of about him about what he wants and stuff like this and she's talking about goals and actual personal things I mean, not she just asked, what you're wearing yeah, he asks her questions about her like about herself and i think that was like the first time we saw patrick actually i don't know i mean he's obviously preparing to murder her while she's talking so i don't know how much of an interest he actually took into her but it's mm-hmm. the first time he asked he let a woman speak and mm. i think almost the entire movie yeah but it's so. also i feel like it's interesting that she also she, she talks about her goals and she talks about she, she's not really sure what she wants to do she's got all these possibilities she might go traveling she might go back to university whatever but it, it, it's the fact that she doesn't know what she wants to do and that she's got all these possibilities she's not just saying okay i need to do these things because i need yeah. to get to this point because that's what everyone else is doing and that's what everyone has told me to do she's got an ability to well she acknowledges the importance of actually figuring out what you want to do and I think maybe that that I don't know I just feel like seeing that in somebody for Patrick could be quite unusual because most other people he interacts with just want exactly the same thing I guess Lewis and Jean could be put on the same level in that sense that they're both like um, individuals and they have like their own they have a sense of self Mm -hmm. I mean like I get with Lewis, obviously, but you see it with his fashion as well as, you know, obviously him being queer, um, other stuff. But with Jean, like, I think you can also see it. And I mean, there's that scene, uh, a very clear uh, misogynist, misogynistic comment on the path, on the part of um, Patrick. But he says, oh, don't wear that again. Mm. Like, I want you to like he almost he was he's almost as if like, don't you know that this is what you're expected to be wearing here? I want skirts and heels. So I guess that both characters do have this kind of individuality that other characters, especially people in the Pierce and Pierce company, don't. I also want to comment that Pierce and Pierce, the right. name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about this earlier, looking at the looking at the business card scene again. Mm. I was like, Pierce and Pierce, interesting. It kind of does give a sense of conformity to the to the company that's there in the name, but also visually when you see the all the businessmen in the, the meeting room and yeah. stuff. And it's that it's that kind of blurring of the lines between violence and Wall Street, as in to pierce somebody, I suppose, oh, as well. Oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> Don't know if I'm reading too much into that. Because, I mean, um, Christine Bale mentioned, I mean, I guess this is kind of going back to kind of people misunderstanding the film or misinterpreting the film. Because it happened with the book as well when that came out. I think yeah, It was a very disliked book, right? Really people disliked. thought it was extremely violent and misogynistic. Yeah. Mm, yeah. People yeah I don't I, I think people didn't read it as ironic sadly no and and apparently so Christian Bale did this um he mentioned in an interview that he um visited Wall Street when in, I guess in preparation for the film and I think I'm assuming these people must have been referring to the book character of Patrick Bateman and um, that he met some of the men who worked there and they unironically liked this character so it's kind of people must have yeah as you say people were engaging with this text and this film and and kind of not really understanding that it's satire and I, and I think it's interesting that it happened on kind of all ends of the political spectrum of well, as well. Like you had some people really disliking the book because they felt like, you know, this representation of especially violence against women is incredibly misogynistic. 
but that of course is kind of I guess missing the, the fact that it's no. just satirizing toxic masculinity the thing is, is that I understand I mean I get it uh, yeah. there are definitely yeah. s- scenes in the movie that made made me make me uncomfortable yeah. I mean the book is worse as well. The really? Is I mean, I mean the quote of, you know, Patrick Bateman being like, you know, when I see a pretty girl walking on the street, half mm. of me wants to be nice to her, take her on a date. And the other half of me thinks about what her head would look like on a stick. Yeah. Or I mean, when the men are, when the Pierce and Pierce, I'm like the men are talking about, uh, you know, how women don't have personalities and stuff. Oh yeah. And obviously when you read that, it, not knowing that the author or the screenwriter or like the director's a woman, mm. you'd be like, hmm you know yeah yeah is that really like is this supposed to be funny because like oh haha woman like is that funny or are we supposed to be make laughing at the characters and this I can understand it. where that in that sense that the lines could be blurred yeah I I, I get what you're saying because it's like you say it's like we're meant to be laughing at Patrick Bateman I mean Christian Bale mentions that in a lot of his interviews you, you're he's he, I think he said in one of his interviews he's not really a villain because you're laughing at him like he's ridiculous um yeah. but I think it's I can understand why some people especially when you look at just how the book was talked about and how the film was talked about of course, I can understand why some people might miss the satire. If all you're hearing is Patrick Bateman is the hero of this novel and then you read it and then it, he's doing these things, of course you're going to... Because, I mean, I read I read this... It was not really a review, but it was an article about the novel from 1990. So this article came out one year before the book and it referred to Patrick Bateman as, a, as the hero of the novel. So, of course, if you're if that's how you are under, like interpreting the novel and then you read it and this is what that hero is doing... Of course, you're going to think that the novel itself is misogynistic. It's just crazy hearing a book where the main character is a serial killer be referred to as Mm -hmm. a hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's that's like unheard of. I mean, there's obviously books and like media that, you know, kind of try to that really try to dig into the motivations of killers and kind of try to give them not necessarily a redemption arc, but you know what I mean? They, mm. they kind of try to explain the killer's action. I mean, they don't try to do that here at all. No, I mean, not at all. Th- so I, I, it's just crazy to hear um, him being referred to as a hero because there's not even any, there's not even any mention of what something that could have happened in his life to make him this way. No. And on the topic, he mentions uh, a random fact about, um, I'm so what's the, which serial, which serial killer was it again? Ed Gein? No, um, Ted Bundy? yes, he mentions how Ted Bundy's dog was called Lassie. And it's funny that he mentions Ted Bundy because, I mean, Ted Bundy is notoriously a serial killer that never wanted to admit that he had a bad childhood or right. he always, he stuck until his death. He stuck with the fact that he had a very normal childhood. That's really interesting. And very loving parents. So it's just, it's funny that, I mean, apparently in the book, there is some background on Patrick Bateman. He mentions his parents are separated. Oh. But he mentions it in the film as well. But it's yes, not a child of divorce. What was the quote again? I remember thinking that was funny. He kind of uses it as an excuse to, I don't know. He says, "Oh, I'm a child of di- a divorce, yeah. basically." But <laughs> but even that, that's not that's not a justification at all. And and, and yeah. I think it was. I mean, um, Mary Harron and Bale both talk about how it was really really important to them that Patrick Bateman was not given some sort of, you know well any kind of this is why he has done all this because they felt like he is just a monster i mean christian bell refers to him as an alien he is that's just how he is because there is there's nothing you know we're talking about this mask there's nothing within him so why do we need a motivation from within him he has created himself and he is a product of this kind of damaging society no definitely it's like it's just how he is 
it just it kind of shows how um you know misogyny and the culture around uh raising uh men and raising young boys it really creates monsters mm. and this like goes ties along perfectly to conversations about you know essay culture or how our society kind of creates monsters and it doesn't necessarily people don't necessarily always need some yeah. horrible tragic childhood to become monsters mm. i guess and i'm glad about that because i mean obviously we're seeing patrick bateman's story but he is around this group of people who are all just like him. You know, we're just not seeing their story. And I feel like if we were given some sort of a psychological justification, because I know, you know, I think Mary Harron mentioned that a lot of people involved in the film were really interested in portraying a psychological, a psych, a kind of this, this justification, but she wasn't. And, I'm, and there was, in fact, I think um, there were some scenes that were in earlier drafts of the script, which included Patrick's mother or his brother. And I'm, quite, I'm, I'm so glad they were cut because it's almost like, I, I feel like what we're seeing is Patrick is like this because of society, not because of his family. And I feel like if they had given some sort of this, oh, this has happened in his past and that's why he's like this, then the significance of the fact that this culture has caused him to be like this, I feel like that would be lost a bit. Yeah, I think, and I also think it just has to do with the fact that, you know, Patrick Bateman isn't a real killer or person. He exists solely for the purpose of satire mm. and this, a vessel for, you know, a vessel for um, the impacts, the impact of like this toxic culture of consumerism, capitalism, um, misogyny. Um, he's like a vessel for all that and, you know, what mm. it brings to the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll just mention here because I, I find this really interesting. This is, um, I guess this is in relation to, um, well, we're talking, you know, we're talking about consumerism and it is, it, this is in relation to the kind of the class theme, certainly. But we've talked about um, people kind of misinterpreting the film, both kind of people who were outraged by the film or people who really, really liked Patrick Bateman because they found him kind of cool, even though he's really not. No, um, yeah. I feel like you've mentioned this already, Patrick's kind of interest in Les Mis. So he's got the Les Mis poster in his bathroom. Yes. And he mentioned, and then he says that he's going to go see the play at one point. I find this, I found this really, really interesting because I was, so I, I did a bit of digging. So basically Les Mis, it opened on Broadway in 1987. So around when this film yeah, was Yeah, so set. I actually think the, this film is set in 1987 because the Huey Lewis and the News album came out in 86. Oh, great. Yeah. So Sorry, it, I, I, I got, I, during movies, I love Googling things. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google's me my too. best friend. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. I'm constantly on Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he it opened, it, so yeah, it would have opened that year and apparently kind of, going because obviously it was hugely popular and going to this m musical was almost a status symbol so the fact that patrick says at one point he's at the it's when he's at the um getting his sheets that are covered in cranberry juice cleaned and he says to this woman another <laughs> beautiful go. irony moment yep, yeah yeah it's fantastic moment, yeah. Uh, but he says to this woman yeah I'm, I'm gonna go see les mis so i'm not available but i feel like there's such irony in that because um obviously les mis is a play about the poor uprising against the rich and about class struggles and patrick no, definitely it's i think it's interesting that obviously he is going to see this as a symbol of his wealth but he misses the irony in the fact that it is it is critiquing th this kind of environment in which there are huge class di um, class divisions and that it's interesting it, i don't know i just find it really interesting that patrick misinterpret like well the irony of that is lost on Patrick, just as the irony of kind of Wall Street bankers liking Patrick Bateman is also lost on the Wall Street bankers. 
No, definitely. I mean, as I said earlier, Patrick is a huge hypocrite. Mm. One of the things that also stuck with me, I mean, obviously the, the, the scene that I, that really disturbs me the most is when he kills the homeless man. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. just the way he talks to him and this, and I'm, Again, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure this was right after his whole speech on ending apartheid, yeah. helping the homeless. But one of the things he says to the homeless man is, why can't you get a job? Mm. But Patrick Bateman, his father, yep. is a head at Pierce and Pierce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I mean, it's hypocrisy. just... Yeah. Do you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Because, okay, this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a pinch of salt. But... Apparently, so apparently towards the end of um, Reagan's presidency, he kind of made some comment along the lines of kind of, if homeless people are living on the streets, that is their fault. They should be accessing. He wasn't, I don't think it was as bold as they should go and get a job because obviously that would have been a bit outrageous. But I think it was something along the lines of, if they are on the streets, they should be accessing housing. It's their fault if they're on the streets, they should be finding shelter. He cut funding to housing for homeless individuals so it, it's that complete yeah. hypocrisy and it, it, it it's it, yeah i just find it it's interesting i mean you that. reagan is one of the u.s's most hated presidents i would i would say oh, really? uh, a lot of people i mean war on drugs and all that mm. um incarcerating black people um yeah, i mean the homelessness stuff uh, it's yeah it, it definitely feeds into this idea of you know privileged people you know because they're in this place of privilege they're kind of in this bubble they can't put themselves into other people's shoes and as much as they perform you know they have these performances of alliance to uh minorities and you know poor people like people Mm -hmm. of lower of a lower class it's all performative and then deep down you know you you, like this this movie really kind of it really dissects the way that privileged people view underprivileged people privileged people and you know all this idea of why don't you get a job why don't why don't you do all this i mean it's very clear that everyone in the all the pierce and pierce employees are privileged people i mean there's this whole scene where patrick's talking about the he was a part of that whole yale thing because mm. he didn't he because patrick went to harvard and uh what's uh paul allen went to yale mm. i mean uh, there's so many like scenes that it's not just the satire of toxic masculinity, but just the satire of rich people in general. I mean, when his uh, his friend, the female friend that's over with the call girl, the second time the call girl comes mm. over. She's played she, by the screenwriter, interestingly, that female friend. I'm fairly oh, sure. Oh, no yeah, way. Yeah, I did yeah. not know that. Mm. I, has, she, has she been, I, I recognized her from somewhere. But anyways, one of the things she asked, obviously not realizing it's a call girl, is, oh, where do you summer? Yep. Like, there's so many, like moments of like total disconnect like delusion yeah of like mm. this like rich subculture in new york and then all the regular people that live in mm. new york and have ha- don't summer anywhere yeah <laughs> and it's that interest it's like you say it's that disconnect from the other yeah because it's like it, i feel like patrick and his friends it's like we've mentioned this before but you know like evelyn says well we're all our friends we share all of our friends yeah. so how are we possibly going to separate and it's because they're all in this bubble and then there's this other and it's the other that patrick is constantly punishing and i think it's for that like i I read this article and it was talking about like the crime of being other and and it's the fact that patrick sees something almost disgusting in that and potentially i guess that's why he reacts with that level of disgust when um lewis kind of um interprets his attempted murder as an advance because that's something that is 
other to him. It's it's not fitting into this heteronormative mold that he that he is kind of that exists. And and I think you know it's that fear of the other and seeing the other as something that should be punished and away and not here because it's like yeah that moment when she asks where do you summer and the fact that it's an impossibility to her that she would interact with someone who doesn't summer somewhere yeah yeah, this woman is clearly struggling financially especially if she got back in the car with Mm. patrick sent her to the hospital i mean like clearly like she is struggling financially and then to have someone ask her where do you summer it's so i think it's important to discuss that like the the humor is not only in patrick being you know a misogynist, um, weird, uh, bro-y, like a podcast bro adjacent guy. Mm-hmm. It's also in the fact that they're like, you know, you refer to him as an alien and all the characters are kind of aliens. They're all so weird. Mm-hmm. Another thing I notice is that every time they mention where they're going, they have to specify where, like which restaurant they're going to. Right. Have you noticed every time he's like, Oh, he won't just say, Oh, I'm getting lunch with a friend. He'll be like, oh, I'm getting on to the friend at the Four Seasons. Yep. Mm-hmm. I bet you haven't eaten there before. Yeah. <laughs> I have. Yeah. Many times. I can get a reservation there. Easy. Yeah. And Where his, do you want to go? And his diary, when Gene goes through his diary, his, I found it hilarious. So it's just, his diary is just empty apart from drinks get a manicure like that's <laughs> oh, i never it. noticed that <laughs> like, that's literally it oh. but yeah it's, it's it's hilarious one thing that we do have to discuss though and i mean it's already been brought up do you think it was all in patrick's head was did he imagine some of it all of it how much of it actually happened i think okay I, i'm very much a believer that it happened yeah me too as much as it doesn't it doesn't really i mean does it really matter if it happened you Not know sure. what I mean? As I, I think I think it happened, right? Mm. I don't think that it was all in his head. I think, you know, I think there's like different reasons why I believe it happened. But at the end of the day, my stance on it is kind of, I you know because because the movie is so heavy on themes and irony and satire. Uh, I think it doesn't really matter if he really killed all these people, you know. But yeah. yeah. Because it doesn't matter because in the film, you know, he gets away with it all. And it's because no. he lives in a society in which, I mean, I, I saw this piece of analysis which was saying that everything he does, because he's fitting himself into this mold and because there isn't really a real Patrick Bateman, everything that he does is so kind of inconsequential that he can kind of murder all these people and he can get away with it. But also no one cares because they're, everyone's so self absorbed and they only care about what they're doing obviously they're all constantly mistaking each other for each other because they all look the same but it's also because no one really cares about the other people apart from as we've mentioned Jean and Lewis who show some degree of affection but no one really cares about anybody else because they're all only interacting with them because it looks good or you know and I think that's so it doesn't matter whether or not it happened because no one cares. No one around him cares anyway. So he gets away with it. Yeah. You know, and I it's kind of sad. But <laughs> it's a huge part of the irony of the movie as well is that like, I mean, the amount of times he admits, mm. he admits to being a murderer. Yeah. Uh, I forget. I, what's the one scene where he's talking to the woman again in the club so she can't hear him very well. Oh yeah. Where she, 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 she says I'm into de- murder I, and executions. And, and then she, she reads it as, um, mergers and, mergers and acquisitions. I, I, acquisitions uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of times that he admits to, you know, his crimes and no one, no one questions him. Yeah. And I mean, same goes for the iconic line. Like I have to return some videotapes. Yeah. No one questions him. Yeah. I do want to add on that quote. Um, 
but the I have to return some videotapes is that now when we watch the movie, it seems very ironic. I mean, it all, I think it was also intended to be funny. Mm. But if you think about it at the time, I was talking, because I rewatched the movie with my mom about a year ago. And obviously my mom was <laughs> alive during the 80s. But what she was saying is that, yeah, now, especially it was made in 2000, now it reads as deeply ironic. Like, he's just looking for an excuse. But, I mean, back then, like, that was a very valid excuse because if oh, really? you... Yeah, because if you rented videotapes, if you were any, like, late at all, you'd get charged insane sums of money right. for being late. Um, but, yeah, I think the way that it doesn't really matter if he killed these people, not mm-hmm. only through, you know, the fact that the the movie mainly is... It's, it's very... The, the importance of the movie is not whether or not he's done it. It's more like the themes that it brings up. But um, I think it's also just the fact that he's admitting it so much. It just ties in beautifully, uh, like what we were saying earlier about how, you know, privileged people often just get away with this get away with things. And, yeah. you know, even if he had killed all these people, he has that fancy lawyer and he's confident enough in the lawyer to admit to all of his crimes to the lawyer, thinking the lawyer can get him out of it. So, yeah. It doesn't really matter if he killed all those people because in the end, Patrick Bateman is a stand-in for the man, you know, mm. the the corporation, the, you know, the top 0.001%. Mm. And um, no matter what he does, it doesn't matter. Yeah, because I feel like him admitting, because as you say, numerous times throughout the film, he kind of threatens, but there's, that, there's that scene very early on where he kind of threatens this woman and he admits to kind of his crimes or whatever. I feel like it can be read in so many different ways. It can be read as everyone's so wrapped up in themselves that they're not really listening to him and they don't care. And I guess that ties in with the fact that he spared Jean because she does listen to mm. him. Also, it can be just read as these women are having to pretend that they didn't hear him in order to protect themselves, which is a kind of sad reality a lot of yeah, the time. Definitely. Or that it was in his head. I guess that's the other way yeah, that you could read it, you know? Th- that it's in his head and that, um, you know all these yeah that all these people the reason why they're not reacting is because Pat- Patrick Bateman you know what were the Patrick Bateman we are seeing on screen is not the Patrick Bateman in real life and mm. that you know he really is a little bit of a, a sad mm. loner guy yeah i think it's interesting that you mentioned that because i mean i've already said how we see these glimpses of how other people are genuinely genuinely see him which you don't i mean i think i think there are some moments of that third person like a third person narrative in the book but Mm. most of it is first person so we're mostly getting just Patrick's perspective whereas in the film like we've already said you know you get these moments of insight into how other people see him which is part of what makes me feel like it's not in his head because if it was in his head all the women would just be obsessing over him and all of the men would be thinking he was really really cool and we do see him stressing out and we do see him kind of we do see that his kind of these yuppie friends of his aren't always totally impressed by him. And I think it's interesting to me that there are these moments, you know, these genuine moments of insight into how he is actually perceived by other people. Yeah. And I mean, the way that they filmed the interview scene also kind of just shows, I mean, if it was all like the way that they filmed it, it's so nerve wracking. Like you do not, I mean, you probably know this, everyone everyone knows this fact about American Psycho, but that they filmed three takes. Yeah. With Willem Dafoe. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where one where Willem Dafoe knows that Patrick Bateman's the killer, one where Willem Dafoe knows he's not the killer, and then one where he doesn't know. He's, sure, he's unsure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I think the anxiety and the, the way they, I think that was very purposeful to kind of show the anxiety in Patrick Bateman's head, the way he's like, oh, does he think it's me? Oh, no, no, he doesn't. Oh, does he think it's me? Mm. But, yeah, yeah. Definitely. There's definitely different ways to interpret it, but 
I think where I stand on the is it real or isn't isn't it real is you know that's the beauty of this movie. I don't think that this movie you know upon first glance it's a movie about a killer, but I don't think that's that's what this movie is really about. No, and I think that's why it's such a great movie. Yeah, because Patrick Bateman, his identity represents something and his actions represent something and they represent these products of the society that he lives in. To me, how I see it is most of it happens, the final chase scene with the police where he's trying to, where he takes money out of the ATM and then the ATM kind of this message comes up where it says, feed me this this, this stray cat. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that didn't happen because I feel yeah, like... Yeah, that doesn't seem that... No. I, I no ATM I've been to has said that. Yeah, but, and then yeah. there's this moment where he, it's, it's, it's one of those like hilarious moments where he kind of, he's, he gets his gun out and he's shooting at the police who are chasing him and then their cars just like blow up and, he, and Patrick like looks at the gun and he's like, what? Like, how did that even just happen? Oh, yeah. And I think that I feel like that is in his head but I feel like it makes sense to me that that could be in his head because by that point he has lost his grip on reality because he I mean Christian Bale talked about in one of these interviews about how Patrick Bateman does does kind of have an arc so there, obviously there's not a, lo- a huge na- like there's not a huge narrative like not there's not well plot I guess there's not a lot actually happens other than we just see Patrick Bateman's life but there is somewhat of an arc and that yeah. arc is him losing this ability to continue pretending and him like like becoming like completely losing this grip yeah. on reality this kind got. of downward spiral for sure yeah um yeah that ending scene um so the friend I rewatched it with in preparation for this that's what convinced them that this um uh, that it was all in his head was mm-hmm. that ending scene because it is I mean the police are looking for them they have like the headlights on of the helicopter and mm-hmm. he just he just peeks out the window fully like, like and the lights on yeah, him yeah. and then next day he's t- chatting with his friends mm, and yeah. yeah it's it's yeah it's i i don't think that was yeah <laughs> i feel like you're that, probably that, that bit was probably in a, at least mo- at least part of it was definitely in his imagination yeah i don't think the atm told him to feed him a no, no. <laughs> yeah i feel but i think it's it's okay for it to be kind of you know some of it happened some of it didn't because there are moments which i feel like definitely did happen like gene towards the end of the film finds um patrick's notebook and it's through it's full of all these kind of horrific like drawings lines, yeah. yeah and he's even drawing he's drawing this terrible picture when he's breaking up with Evelyn. Yeah. those things are def i feel like are definitely happening but are those by are those products of his fantasies or kind of you know i, I guess it's it's ambiguous but i again like we say it doesn't matter whether or not he did yeah. it because he's you know he's a representation of this society and yeah yeah yeah, that's what's that's so cool about this movie. Yeah. And it's why I love it, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what films do you think are similar to American Psycho? So you had much better answers than me looking at the notes, but um, <laughs> I would say in terms of, um, these are some random ones, um, but in terms of like themes of toxic masculinity as well as kind of like, this is more police brutality and toxic masculinity, but la- it reminded me a lot of La Haine. Um, it's in black and white. It's a French movie. Um, it's very centered around toxic masculinity. It's a big theme. Um, in terms of coloring, oh, I, I, I don't want to promote this movie. Well, not that I'm promoting it, but the coloring reminded me a bit of One Flew Over the, uh, the One uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, very yeah. white, because I mean the the move the film the filming is very white. Like it's very. Um, his apartment is kind of stripped yeah. of all color. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it kind of reminded yeah. me of that. And then I guess finally um, the the uh you know the little the little poncho he wears mm. the one that uh, paul allen makes fun of this has i wouldn't say there's any other parallels to this movie at all but very similar to um what 
that one of the characters in Doom Generation wears, and that was a pretty famous, like, queer staple movie by Gregor Rocky, and that was 97, I believe, so before American Psycho could have been inspired since apparently a lot of people on the work on this movie were queer, but mm. yeah. What about you? <laughs> well, for me, I mean, I want to go back to the Paul Allen scene, though, because I feel like we've not talked about it enough, and I think it's a great scene, but um, for me, so, I mean, Mary Harron, I came across this article, Mary Harron compared it to The Joker. I think you can compare the film to the Joker. The Joker obviously provides just, the Joker is about providing a justification for his actions. Whereas, whereas this one isn't, isn't yeah. at all. Yeah, so I guess it's different in that sense, but I know people's reactions to the Joker, you can, I mean, yeah, the, the I, I think, I think that the audience reaction of both movies are very similar. And I think that the way the Joker has the way the Joker has become kind of a icon for kind of sadly like more incel like movements and mm -hmm. stuff like that and very misogynistic groups of men on the internet and stuff kind of the same thing has happened with Patrick Bateman and yep. I think you could definitely compare them in that sense definitely. even though the Joker is really about understanding um this character and how he became the villain mm. but again it's that the both films have been misinterpreted and yeah. have been yeah absolutely I think um the other I mean so giallo is ba it's basically this Italian horror genre yeah, that, yeah, yeah. so yeah you're familiar yeah well just in, in case any audience members aren't it's an Italian horror horror um subgenre that came out in the 1960s and 70s basically and um apparently so I read that this film was inspired by Hatchet for the Honeymoon, which I've not seen, which came out in 1970. I haven't seen it. I've not seen that one. Um, I think it was a Mario Bava. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are just so many little moments where it, the film just looks like a giallo in terms of like the visuals. So there's the moments when kind of- The well, reds. I mean, the reds are very vibrant. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's obviously set in- New York but there are these moments when he's walking through the city and you've got all these kind of big white buildings that are kind of very kind of lit with these bright street lights but everything else is in darkness and you've got these bit and then there's this moment where he walks past this building with these huge columns and he obviously I mean Patrick Bateman he has these black leather gloves that he kind of puts on to kill people and and I think all these visuals really reminded me of Giallo films like Deep Red and Suspiria. Yeah, like I've the been visuals. meaning to see Deep Red. It's brilliant. It's really, uh, really Suspiria good. is one of one of my favorite movies as well. It's Great movie. Both fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, what I what I find really interesting about this is the fact that the film obviously visually reflects these Giallo films, but in a weird way, kind of the fact. So Giallo films, um, a lot of them explore kind of the conditions of. Um, modernity and that that that's kind of society because that's when the films were being made and similarly um american psycho explores the condition of this neoliberal society so i think i don't know i just find it interesting that not only does it visually reflect giallos but also the fact that it's really thematically exactly thematically delving into what is going on in this society i found that really interesting no definitely yeah uh, really really good references right there yeah <laughs> well i mean well we've mentioned Paul Allen scene. I just want to mention it before we finish because I think we've not mentioned it enough and I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's one of the like relentlessly referenced scenes and I think the the one where he's explaining his his taste for uh for I keep forgetting the artist's name Huey Lewis he, in yes, the news yes. um when he's going on his tangent about their I didn't like their early works that mm -hmm. one yeah yeah okay yeah. so I don't know I I think one moment that I just want one well I guess kind of behind the scenes fact that I just wanted to mention was the fact that when they so when they were filming this they had so this is the scene when um Patrick 
slaughters Paul Allen, basically. Yeah. And um, basically they had a limited number of takes. Um, I think something to do with the blood and the mess or something like this. Well, that makes um, sense. Yeah. yeah. And basically the take that they used in the film kind of when the the fake blood was shot onto christine bell's face it covered half of his face and accidentally and mary harron in reference to this has kind of said that she feels like it represents this half and half this this kind of um on one side patrick is pristine and he's got this outward facade and he's got this outward display and he can pretend to be a certain way but then on the inside he's bloody and he's um violent and i don't know i just found that really interesting that's no, like that that duality that's really cool mm, that yeah. that would just randomly happen and she was like we're sticking with it i know no, it's cool yeah because i think that's i don't know i think uh, i mean i've mentioned that scene in regards to people potentially finding these kind of cool visuals or like a visual that someone would find is cool but i don't know i just think that scene's really yeah i think it's great no it is really cool and it has inspired a lot of like media i mean the I would say the entrance, the sh- the entrance shot, like the entrance credits, like with the 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 blood and mm. the the food, um, heavily reminded me of like uh, I don't know if you've seen the show Hannibal. No, um, I haven't. Yeah, well, they have a similar entrance scene like that that kind right. of zooms into things, and it seems like, but then it's just like food or something. Yeah. Same for Dexter. Same same entrance scene. They're both shows, but yeah, heavily, very clearly, heavily inspired by that um, entrance. Uh, credits thing Mm, yeah Um, yeah yeah well i mean this this film has had kind of obviously such heavy influences like it's been parodied kind of to death and have you seen the american psycho 2 (laughs) oh my gosh no i've seen kind of video (laughs) analyses on it and i'm not watching it they kill off patrick bateman i think is christian bale in it no (laughs) but i'm fairly sure i'm fairly sure brett easton ellis has kind of said Uh, yeah it's not canon i'm not well i don't know if he said it's not canon but he's kind of said I don't like it's not any I'm good. assuming it wasn't the same director I I really doubt it I really doubt it I mean it was Mila Kunis wasn't it who starred it was, in it yes um and apparently it's just yeah not great and I think I think no one who was really involved in the first production yeah really found it any good and I think I'm just gonna pretend it didn't happen and I probably I'm, I'm sorry I, I don't know why I brought it up <laughs> No, it's fine. I mean, it's good. I mean, it's interesting to acknowledge it, I guess, because yeah, yeah I mean, just production-wise. But I yeah, mean, I I have you seen the movie uh, American Mary? Have you heard of no. it before? Um, so, uh, a very different theme. Um, mm. Just it centers on a female character, and she um, is low on money, college student, uh, medical student, and starts doing body modifications for extra money. And there's like this uh, kind of uh, essay revenge plot to it. Um, it's a great movie. Um, I think. Only the name was, well, and the name and her, her costuming was very heavily, yeah. the name of the movie and the costuming, because she wears like this apron and these gloves, very inspired by American Psycho. Yeah. And you should check it out if, if, if you like that kind of genre. It's a good movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, American Psycho is obviously, yeah, hugely influential film. It's absolutely fantastic. Great choice from you. So thank you. Yeah. No, thank you so much for joining me, though, today. Even brilliant guests. Yeah. No, I had, a, I had a great time. It was lovely talking about this yeah. awesome movie with you. Yeah. This was Talking Pictures. Thanks for listening.